We're in this series called 10, 10, and 2020. We started thinking about this, actually, this, this line in January before we knew what 2020 was going to hold. None of us knew. But we're on a journey. And, and though things seem like they're falling apart all around us, and sometimes it feels like the world is overtaking, we're not losing vision of what God's called us to. So J.O. heard the Lord say in prayer in January, I want you to reach 1,010 people in the year 2020. And for us, that's not just a number. You're not just a number. Your kid is not just a number. Your neighbor is not just a number. It's It's a person. Like, we actually believe that the fullness of life The abundant life is found not in more possessions. We actually believe that the fullness of life is found not in in status and not in bigger houses and not in, in fulfilling our fleshly desires. We actually believe that the fullness of life is found in relationship with the God of the universe. We believe that. And so when we do a series like this and we have our, our, our slogan written on posters in the lobby and we, and we talk through it and we try and get you guys to memorize it and you know, memorize the lines because we're a people after God's own heart and we exist to help people know God and find freedom, discover purpose and make a difference. And I hope that you memorize that, but the point is never for you just to memorize some cliche slogan. It's because like Logan was reading that we've actually experienced the person in whom there is life. And I actually want you to know God. I really want you to know God. I know what it's like to to just go to church. I did it for 17 years. I did religion, but I didn't know God. It sucks. I'm convinced that the most miserable person is somebody that, that performs the acts of religion without the relationship with the source. It's 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 miserable. So I actually really want you to know God in a real way. I want you to experience freedom. I want you to discover your God-given design to know your purpose. And I want you to make a difference because I know that the human soul was designed to feel fulfilled when we're not just living for us, but we're making a difference for other people. And so this is not just a cliche slogan, it's something that I actually believe and I want for you. And I think that anybody who's experienced real love would want that for other people too. And so this week is discover purpose. Because we do exist to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. Now I recognize that um, all four of those things that we exist to do, um, in a sense, some aspect of them can happen in a moment. But then whatever happens in a moment is gonna be lived out in the journey of life. So you could come to know God in a moment. You could come to know God today. If you don't know him, it could happen in a moment. But then you get the privilege of of coming to know him more and walking out your life with him for the rest of this age and for eternity. So there's something that happens in a moment and there's something that happens on the journey. There's something in a moment, you could receive prayer or the Holy Spirit could just come and you could find freedom in a moment. You ever experienced that before? Like in the midst of something, God did something in that moment. And yet there, 
There's also, after that moment, an opportunity to, to live into the freedom and, and find more freedom and experience the fullness of life that he's offered us. And so there's something that happens in a moment, and there's something that happens on the journey. And today, I recognize I'm not going to sit here and convince and tell. I don't even know. I don't know your purpose. I'm not going to be able to explain to every one of you what your purpose is. My intention today is to invite you to consider that you have one. And if you don't yet know it, that you would embark on a journey of finding yours with him. So if you have a Bible, would you open up to Ephesians chapter 2? We're going to read in this passage. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a church in the city of Ephesus. This, this city was a really, really important city back in the day. It was a port city. It was a major center of commerce. It was a major center of religion. There was a, a temple in this city to the Greek god Artemis. And there was all kinds of filthy, weird, crazy things going on in this city. But Jesus showed up. And a group of crazy people like you and I started getting together around this idea that if they died to self, they could actually find life in him. I wonder if there's some people in the room today, maybe, you, you know, somebody just drug you here or they convince you to come and, and you're looking around and you're like, what is going on in this place? Like maybe you grew up in a more traditional church or like, you know, it's just kind of quiet and then you show up to heart of the city and it's like everybody's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs up in here. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, these people are crazy. And if that's how you feel, I'm with you. I remember feeling that way, too. Like, I'm like, like my church that I grew up in is, like, quiet. Like, you know, we couldn't change any light bulbs because we couldn't raise our hands up above our head. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if I came into the heart of this city church when I was 18, I'd be like, y'all are crazy. I'm out of here. But, but if you actually step back and think about it, it's, it's not so hard to believe that something important could provoke passion. I mean, like, like last weekend, when the, when the Seahawks stuffed Cam Newton on the one-yard line and he didn't get in, I tell you, me and my buddies, we were going crazy. We were raising our hands like, yeah! And so to sit there and think, why do these people raise their hands in worship? That's weird. It's actually not that weird, right? Because we celebrate that way. We celebrate things that we're passionate about. So it actually kind of makes sense. If God is real. Hey, let's read this passage together. Ephesians 2. This is going to get serious for a moment. And the only reason I'm reading it is because it's true. So this is what it says. You were dead in your, trust, your trespasses and your sins in which you once walked. That's serious. Like, we weren't just sick. Sniffles. The message of the Bible is that you and I were dead. And by the way, let's just remember that there's, there's actually no degree of death. There's no degree of severity when it comes to death. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, like we, we kind of think that way when it comes to sickness. Like, oh, I'm kind of sick. And oh, that guy's really sick. But if you're dead, you're dead. And so spiritually speaking, when we look at other people and, uh, oh, they're like really bad and I'm not so, hey, no, 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 none of us are any better than anybody else. We were all dead. Every one of us was, was dead apart from Christ. And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you once walked. That's an action. That's, what, that's how we live. That's what we do. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's just a term that basically refers to the devil. I know that's serious. 
Like the message of the Bible is that if, if we're not surrendered to Jesus, then we're surrendered to somebody else. The spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. That's serious. Like the rest of mankind, we were dead, we were separated, but God. Oh, so glad we have a but God. Aren't you? You weren't just sick, you were dead. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when you were dead in your trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Grace is a gift, an unmerited, unearned gift that he has just offered to us. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now that's kind of mystical, but that's your reality. That you are not just an earthly being for the here and now. That you are an eternal being. And when you're in Christ, you are actually right now seated with him in the heavenly places. Why? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's not by works so that none of us can boast. Now listen to this. You are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this is speaking all about purpose. Let's take a look at a few of these words. Workmanship, the Greek word, the original word that this is written in, the word is poema. It's where we get our word poem from. Yeah, isn't that awesome? This is an artistic term. This is, this is as if Paul is trying to express to them that the God of the universe is an artist with your life. He's writing a poem through you. He, in fact, you're his master, you're his craftsmanship. He designed you, put it like this, somebody once said, you were designed on purpose for a purpose. The scriptures teach us that you were knit together by God Almighty in your mother's womb. This is why, by the way, we believe that life starts in here, not out here. This is why we believe that that is a, a God-built, sewed-together being, a human being in the womb. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're ever going to vote, you should probably vote for life. Because God is the God of life. And nobody's a mistake. You are God's workmanship. You are his masterpiece. You are his poem. And, and I don't know, I just, I've been around long enough as, as a pastor that I just know in a room this size... There might be a few people thinking, no, I'm not. In fact, there might be some, some people in this room that have been told a time or two that you're garbage. There may be somebody in this room that your own parent told you you were a mistake. 
I just want to let you know, you may have been a mistake to them, but you are not a mistake to God. He created you. Not just on purpose, but for a purpose. You have a purpose. You were created for good works. There are things that he has for you to do. This is, we don't believe in a watchmaker God. There's a, there's a philosophy that says, yeah, God's probably out there, but he's like a watchmaker. He built it, he wound it up, and he set it going, and he has nothing to do with us. That's not true. God is present, he's active, and he's here, and he's now, and he wants to live in you, and he wants to do good works through you. This is a revelation that the Lord dropped in my heart just this morning. Nobody else got this, so hey. When I think of good works, especially in the church, I think a lot of us, if we're not careful, we can think, oh, that's a good thing, and I'm supposed to do it. Yeah, I know, that's a good thing, and I'm supposed to do it. That's a good thing. I should serve people. I should love people. I should. Those are good things, and I should do them. And we kind of sometimes drag ourselves to the work because we're supposed to work for God. But that's, God gives us good works to do, but they're also good for us. Like, we were created for good works that are, that are going to be good for the world, to the glory of God, and good for us. When you find your purpose in God, it brings you life. It's not a burden. And, and this is just super cool to think about, that he prepared these things beforehand that we should walk in them. Like, it's, it's not just that in any given moment you have an opportunity to... to to do a good work, but God actually prepared these things before. There's a weight to that. Now, I don't want to like, God is never interested in shaming anybody and making them just be overcome with guilt from the past, but, but there is something sobering to that, isn't there? Like to think about that for the last 36 years of my life, I've either been living into or not into the things that God had already laid out for me. It's powerful. And so today I want to talk about purpose. And in order to do that, um, I, I, want to, I want to frame it in sort of thinking about the ways that you and I relate with God. I, when I was on sabbatical, I read a book by a guy named Sky Jethani, and it was a book that was all about the ways that people typically, primarily relate with God. And so I want you to consider this for a moment. Uh, so like Seth, for example. Seth and I relate with one another in a number of different kinds of ways. So Seth and I are our friends. Seth and I are also co-workers. Seth and I, I am an elder in this church, so in a sense, I have authority over Seth. Uh, when Seth was in high school, I sort of served as a mentor to him. We were talking about college. So a number of different types of relationships that we have. And you know, like, there... Primarily, I would say we just, we just relate with each other as brothers in Christ and friends. But there, but there may be times when, you know, I have to take my friend hat off and, and put the elder hat on, and, and in that moment, we're relating to each other different. Does that make sense? And so the reality is that, that we, we relate with one another, but think about how you relate with God. When you think about your relationship with him, how do you relate with him? So, so today, this, this little box is, uh, represents God. Uh, don't put God in a box, okay? <laughs> so, but... <laughs> God is the box today. So, so check this out. One way that people can relate with God is by being over God. So on the far end of the spectrum, this would be the atheistic position. 
This would be, you know, basically the idea that God isn't even real. There is no God. Frederick Nietzsche said, you know, where is God? Where is God? We have killed him, both you and I, the father of modern atheism. And that, in many ways, is what our culture has grasped onto, is this idea that, you know what? There is no God, or even if there is, he's not a God to me. I'm a God of my own world. And so, for all intents and purposes, we are above God. Think about it like this, like if, if there was a, a throne in your life, who sits on the throne? Is it you or is it God? Who makes the decisions? Who, who's sitting in the driver's seat of your life? You or God? Now obviously the far end of the spectrum is the atheistic position that there is no God and so I should rule and run my own life, but be careful because this, this sort of position can actually take place within a form of Christianity at least what we think is Christianity. You know, it, it, it's how I used to be. It's the idea that, yeah, I believe that God exists, but he actually doesn't rule and run my life at all. I believed for 17 years that Jesus is real. I, I believed it. But that had nothing to do with my life. I just believed that he existed the same way that I believed that George Washington existed. It has nothing to do with my life. He has no authority in my life. I believed in some historical character. And so I wonder, is that the way that you relate with God? Now, even a little closer towards genuine faith, like think about Moses. You know, Moses one day, he, he approached a rock and all the people needed water and God was like, hey, get water out of that rock and water came out of the rock and, and that's what God did in that moment because the, God told him to do it. But then later on, God got furious with Moses because he shut up to a rock and all the people were complaining and they needed water and he struck the, the rock and, and, and God was like, this is not what I asked you to do. And what Moses was doing was just relying on the principle from before. He was, he was taking that position of authority and just relying on what worked. If we're not careful, we could do that in our faith. Well, this is what worked before, and so I'm just going to do it now, and I can consult the God of the universe, the God of my heart. That's one way you can relate with God. How about this way? Under God. I am under God's authority. This is the spirit that says, you know, I'm going to raise my children up in the way of the Lord, and they will not depart from it. As for me and my household, we're going to follow the commandments and the precepts and the rules and the laws and all the things of God, and we're going to, we're going to live under, under, under his, his righteousness, and we're going to perform, and we're going to do, and, we're going to, and then we know that in exchange, God will take care of us. God will be there for us. My kids will be okay. My house will be okay. If I could just I, I'd maintain my own righteousness by following the rules, then we'll be all right. And this is how some of us relate with God. The relationship that we have is actually just uh, a following of his commandments under his authority. Which, which are good things to do. But if this is the primarily, primary way that we relate with him, it can become burdensome. You see, because following out the commandments of God has to flow from relationship and not pursuing relationship out of following the commandments of God. It's like this box is not that heavy. I could hold it up here for a couple minutes, but what if I tried to hold it above my head for two hours, two days, 20 years of just trying to stay under the commandments of God, this thing would crush me. How about this one? 
from God? Is the primary, primary way that you relate with God in a from God relationship? This is the health and wealth gospel. This is the prosperity gospel. This is the, when you say in your heart, you know, I'm just kind of doing life and doing whatever, but when I need that A on that test, hey, God, can I please get that A on that test? Young person. (laughs) This is when we're saying, yeah, I'm just doing my own thing. I'm living however I want to live. But God, I really want that spouse. Please just give me that person that I'm interested in. This is that person that, if you're anything like me, I've done it before, where you start making those bargaining agreements with God. Hey, God, I, I know that I haven't been, but if you just this one time, just this one time, if you just show up in this situation, I promise you, from now on all, this is those of us that treat God like supernatural Santa Claus. You know, you're just trying to be not naughty, but nice enough, just so you can get that gift that you want from him. And if that's you, hey, I'm with you. I, I know that, what that feels like. I've been there before. And the truth is that we do need things from God. But if this is the primary way that we relate with one another, like think about your marriage, your relationship with anybody. If the way that you relate with people in your world is just to get something from them, that's a horrible relationship. Right? But think about it. Isn't it true that we can, if, we, if we're not, we could fall into that? So are you above God? Are you just under God and his rules? Are you living just to get from God? Or how about this one? For God. That's a good thing to do, right? Because we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. My life is not my own. I've died to self, and I live now for God. I'm a servant of Jesus, and so I exist to, to do whatever he asked me to do. I'm his slave. And, and I got into this whole thing because I just wanted to, to help people know him, and so, and so I, I do the church thing, and I preach, and I, you know, I'm trying to bring people here, and, and here, God, here's, here's some ministry. Here's, you know, here's some people that, that have come to know you, and here, here's the small group that I'm doing, and, and here's, look at, look at the thing that we did in our program, and, and it's so awesome, God, I'm doing all this for you. And that's good, Right? That's my purpose, is to live for God. The problem is, it's not my primary purpose. The fifth and primary way that we should relate to God is with God. Check out what this passage says. For you, we were dead in our trespasses and he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places. You see, this is the truth from the beginning of the scripture to the end. In the very beginning, in, in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, the reality was that God was with man. Walking in the garden together. And at the very end, in Revelation, you would read this in Revelation chapter 21. It says, And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So on my sabbatical, and I was really thinking, go to the, go to the with slide. I was really thinking about my life. And how far I've come in all these years of being with Heart of the City and serving Jesus. And I realized that at one time in my life, I was just with God. Like I I did religion for 17 years and then I actually met him. And I was like receiving this gift like, wow. This is what it's all about. This is amazing. Like, I get, I get to live in relationship with you. Like, you're real in this way. And I didn't know anything about doing ministry or preaching. I had no intention of being a pastor. I had no, I just was living in this place where, like, God became real. And I was like, wow, I get to be with you. And it was out of that place that, of just being together, like just, just walking through life, sensing his presence and knowing him. It was, out of, it was out of that place of just being with him that like the overflow of, of giving him and giving love and giving life away just started happening and that, that's what ministry is. It's like when you're with God, you, you just can't help but like talk about him and, and that's kind of what preaching is. And when you're with God and and you find freedom in him, you just can't help but think, well, let's just gather some people together and and let's help them be with God too and find freedom. And so you start a thing called a small group, but you never set out for the whole thing because you're just trying to do some small group thing. You just just wanna help people be with God. And so I don't know about you, but for me, what started as just with God and was overflowing as ministry for God over the last 13 years has kind of just become for me primarily doing things for God, performing, achieving. And so I had to repent. And I just decided in my heart that all of the outflow has to be that, an outflow of an inflow of relationship. And so, do I believe that you're created for good works and to do things for God and for people? Absolutely. 100%, you were designed on purpose for a purpose. And it's not just to consume, it's not just to earn, it's not just to build up storehouses of wealth for yourself. You were designed to make a difference in somebody else's life. You have a God-given purpose and there are gonna be good works involved in that for other people. But your primary purpose is to be found with him and to let those works and the out, you know, whatever that looks like, whatever purpose he's designed you for, to let that come out of the place of being with him. And so if you're thinking to yourself, well, I just don't have very many skills. Well, guess what? He says to you today, I'm with you. You don't have to be a a great speaker, Moses. I'm with you. I'm with you. 
You're not just a realtor. You're a realtor with Jesus. You're not just a handyman. You get to handyman with Jesus. You're not just a just a stay-at-home mom. Oh, no, no, no. You're a shepherd of some human beings in your house, and you get to shepherd with Jesus. And you are important. You were designed on purpose for a purpose. You're not just a business owner. You're a business owner with Jesus. You have a purpose. Do you know what it is? Of course, there's a general purpose over all of the people of God. We get that but there's also a specific purpose of your life. Like my purpose is not to lead worship. I'm a good singer, but not that good. <laughs> that's, not, that's not my purpose. My purpose is not to do the job that my wife does. That's gross. <laughs> In my opinion. <laughs> but but I, I'm trying to live out my purpose that God has for me. What purpose does God have for you? And is it flowing from being with him? As he pours in, it easily pours out. As relationship with him is flourishing and growing, service for him just kind of comes out of you. And so tonight, uh, today we, we just decided to, to move one of our songs to the end and we're gonna conclude this gathering with, with just singing this song together. But I, what I really was hoping to, to create was just an atmosphere where you could just consider for a few moments instead of us just saying a prayer and leaving, but just to consider, you could pull it away, Elijah, to consider, do you know your purpose? Are you with Christ and is life flowing from that place?